If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 8, and uh, if you're here today and you don't have your Bibles, uh, we've got the words will be on the screen this morning. Uh, For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd, and I'm really glad that you're here this morning. Thank you so much for joining us as we continue in our series called World Upside Down. We've been walking through uh, a little bit sporadically through the book of Acts, uh, taking a look at the first church, and uh, today uh, we're going to be taking a look at uh, Acts chapter 8 and taking a look at two parts of the Christian life that Luke, I believe, highlights here that happened in the first church that applies to us today. Before we dive in, um, would you join me in a word of prayer? I want to pray for our friends in Texas and uh, around the nation right now uh, with uh, seems what seems like every few weeks uh, yet another school shooting. So would you join me in a word of prayer this morning? Father God, um, every time we see it on TV or hear about it through a friend or see it on social media, God, our hearts are burdened by what has been taking place far too often in our country, God. And I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus that you would be with those family members and friends of those who passed away in this terrible tragedy at Santa Fe High School in Texas. And God, I pray that right now that you would minister to them physically and spiritually, emotionally, in every way, God, I pray that you would meet their every need. And Father God, I pray that you would be with those who are still recovering, pray that you would be the God of healing to them. God, I pray in the midst of this chaos that we're seeing across the country, God, that you would help us to find you in the midst of it. God, that we as a people would turn our hearts, as we're going to talk about today, back to you. God, that we as a country, we as your people would lead that effort and we would find a way to stop this loss of life that seems to be happening so far too often. And God, I pray right now that you would help us in this room to hear from your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would lead us into your word and that we would receive wisdom and understanding from your word through your Holy Spirit. I pray for those who walked in here today, wherever they are in their faith journey, Father God, I pray that you would speak to them, that you would pierce our hearts, that you would inspect our lives, and God, that we wouldn't leave here the same person that we came in. We give you now these next few moments together. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. A few weeks ago, uh, we talked about the fact that the church had faced a crisis, that there was pressure from uh, outside. There was a group of people that were seeking to silence the group of first Christians in that first century. And there was then, as the church grew and as more and more people came to faith in Jesus, from within, there was conflict within the walls of the church. Imagine that. Conflict inside a church. Anyway, I'm sorry, that was really sarcastic. Anyway, so uh, there, was these, there were these pressures, and one of the things that the first leaders of the church decided to do was to help meet the needs in a better way as they appointed different people based on their gifting to do some of the jobs in the church. And so there was a man by the name of Stephen who was appointed to take care of some of the needs of the widows. And so he became a leader in the first church, along with many of the other leaders. And then, uh, kind of out there on the side of things, there was a man by the name of Saul. And a lot of you probably know the story of Saul. We're not going to get into his story today. In fact, come back next week for his story. You'll hear his his story next week and 
uh, what God did uh, in his life. Uh, but Saul was one of the ones who was putting pressure on the church from the outside, trying to silence this movement that was literally changing everything about the known world. It was turning the world upside down, and they didn't like it. A lot of people didn't like it. And so Saul was seeking to silence this movement, and he was doing it in dramatic fashion. And that's where we pick up today is Acts chapter 8. We're going to take a look at verse 1. Now, we're not going to discuss in detail what happens in these first eight verses, but it sets the stage for what's going on. And it's important also for next week. It links to next week. Let's take a look, verse 1 of Acts chapter 8. And Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered, it says, throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Here's the silver lining in this. Here's God at work. God using a terrible tragedy for good. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many of them, many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city, speaking of the city of Samaria. Now, the reason that I mention this, and the reason we even start right here, is as we get into chapter 8, we see that the church, which really has expanded just a little bit beyond Jerusalem and into Judea and Galilee, is now being poised to spread all over the earth. And it is allowed to be spread all throughout the earth, the gospel message in the church, because of the persecution of a man by the name of Saul. And so we see in this context here at the beginning of chapter 8 that God was using a terrible tragedy to really begin the process and spin up the process of the gospel message being really sent everywhere into the known world in that day and age. And this city of Samaria was a bit of a barrier, not geographically, but culturally. It was a tough place to go in, and you remember um, the, the, uh, Jesus encounters Samaritans several different times, and it was very dangerous, and it was, they didn't like Jews, and it was a different type of people, and that just really set the stage for what was about ready to happen, what we're going to see later in the month of June that took place there in Acts. It didn't take place in June then. It's going to take place for us then in June, okay? So just to be clear there. And so then what happens is Philip and Peter encounter two different men, and here's where we're going to kind of land today. Two different men. The first one is in this city of Samaria. There was this man who was a magician, and his name was Simon. And the whole city of Samaria was kind of captivated by his magic. And it was evil, and it came from a, a, a bad spirit. And, and the uh, leaders of the church begin to confront this. Let's pick up in verse 12. But when uh, they believed Philip, Philip is the one that's preaching the good news, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. 
And even Simon, verse 13 says, himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he, this great evil magician, was amazed. I love that verse because that's like, you know, the, the one person that you think of that would never be amazed by Jesus. Actually, his mind is turned. His heart is turned. Okay, and so then what happens is Simon, the uh, magician, he, he looks at all these Christians that he inter- interacts with. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're different. And something's going on in their life. And he's like, hey, I want a little bit of whatever they have. And so he speaks up and he talks to some of these these Christians. And he says, hey, I want what you've got. And I'm willing to pay for it. I'll give you money to have the Holy Spirit. And of course, Peter, being one of the church leaders then, is like, we're going to have to deal with this. And in Peter's way, he deals with it. Check out verse uh, 20 here. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. He doesn't mince words here. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your, I want you to say it with me, heart. For your heart is not right before God. And Peter goes on to get more up in his notches. And he says, repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. And pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you, may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. He put it in just great, lovely words there, didn't he? He just, like, really is nice about this. And so this magician who had already become a Christian, he had already been saved and already was baptized, wanted more, and he was willing to pay for it. And Peter says, you don't pay for this. This comes from a pure heart. This comes from a genuine place where God does something in your life. Now fast forward, Philip, who had brought the gospel to the city of Samaria, um, God tells him to go on a journey and and travel south, and so he does, and as he's traveling, he comes across a man from Ethiopia. Now, this is crazy. I love this story because it is so unusual and so unique. He's the, the Ethiopian eunuch, and he comes from Ethiopia, and he's a member of the queen's court, and he is traveling from Ethiopia Now get this, this is the first century. He's traveling from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to come and worship the God of Abraham and Isaac. And we we understand and we know that there were some Jews in Ethiopia, and he probably was a follower of God. He He was Jewish, and so he went to the temple, and most scholars believed that he got there after this very long, very difficult journey, and he probably was turned away because they thought that he was just like the Gentiles, kind of an outcast. And so I'm sure this Ethiopian eunuch gets in his chariot. He's probably a little bit ticked off. He's wondering what has gone on. He went to worship God, and he can't even really get in the temple to worship God. And he asks someone, and we know he either had money or power, he asks them for scrolls, the actual word of God, which was very unusual to actually have the scrolls. And he gets in his chariot, and he begins reading, and Philip hears him reading. And check this out, verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, who, by the way, talks in his prophecy about Ethiopia, so it would make sense that the Ethiopian would be reading this. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, 
How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is like the perfect witnessing example. This is like the way that it goes best ever. Like you're trying to tell someone about Jesus, and they're like, oh, yeah, tell me about it. That'd be awesome. That happened to me one time. I'm 40-something years old, and it happened to me one time like that, okay? It does not happen, but it's happening to Philip right now. And so Philip goes on to share with him the message of Jesus. He connects it back to uh, the, the book that he's reading there in, in Isaiah, And this man essentially says in so many words that, yes, I believe. And in that moment, he puts his faith in Jesus. Skip down to verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, which was very unusual. And the eunuch said, see here, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. This is a great example of someone who was so incredibly passionate, so incredibly excited about the change that was going on in their life that they wanted to be baptized immediately. I love that. Now, what in the world did these two stories have in common? And what in the world do they have to do with turning the world upside down in the first century? And really, what in the world do they have to do with us today? Well, I think there's two things that Luke, as he's writing this in Acts, wants us to understand. And the first is, is that belief in Jesus comes first. That belief in Christ is first. See, when we choose to believe in Jesus, we take that first really very important step towards him, which leads to change in our heart and then our actions. You see, we believe in Jesus, and then all of a sudden our heart begins to change, or perhaps it begins to happen simultaneously, and that heart change then ultimately leads to a changed life, changed actions. Sometimes we as Christians, we kind of get this wrong. The church has gotten this wrong. The church for years has said, you have to have your act all together. You have to clean everything up. You have to behave a certain way and act a certain way, and then you can believe and maybe be baptized. And we see here this order of things that is clearly shown in several different cases that belief comes first. See, what ultimately will happen if we put our faith in Jesus is God will begin to soften our heart to the things of him. Our heart will be changed. And if you're here today and and you're a Christ follower, maybe you've been a Christ follower for a week, or maybe there were 60 people that got saved that asked Jesus to be their Savior this Easter here at this church. Maybe you're one of those 60, or maybe maybe you've been a Christian for a long, long time, and, and you're recognizing that maybe your heart is becoming a little bit hard towards God. You see, Peter, when he confronted Simon the magician, about buying the Holy Spirit, about buying God's Spirit, said, this is not a money issue. This is a heart issue. Allow God to change 
your heart. In verse 20, he says, may your silver perish with you because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. And look at verse 21. He says, you have neither part nor a lot of this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Maybe you're here and you've been struggling in a thousand areas and you're frustrated and you keep hitting the ceiling in your life. And you're wondering, where is God in all of this? And maybe you've begun to question some things that you once knew were solid. I'll tell you that he has never left you. He's never forsaken you, the Bible says. But maybe, just maybe, you and I, we, we forget to listen after some time. Maybe we begin to just allow like just life to kind of interject and kind of get in the way of our spiritual lives. You see, belief in Jesus leads to heart change. And heart change, when our hearts are changed, that will lead to a change in our actions. We sang two songs this morning that referred to the dry bones. Dry bones come alive. And, and, you know, that whole concept, the whole idea of dry bones comes from Ezekiel. The prophet talked about how the nation of Israel had become dry in terms of uh, their relationship with God, that they had become dead in terms of their relationship with God. And that's where we get that in those songs that we just sang. And Ezekiel is actually the same one that tells us that we can have a new heart. Check this out, Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. You see, it doesn't matter where we are in our spiritual journey. Maybe you walked in here today, and you're far from God. It's been a long time since you've really, really had any conversation with him. He can change your heart like that. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, You've been in a position where, man, your heart began to get hard. Your heart began to get really hard to the things of God. And he is Holy Spirit. He can change it in an instant. And I believe that Luke is trying to tell us through the story of Simon the Magician that what we need to ask for when we're wondering about all these things is, is not where is God, but where is my heart in terms of being sensitive and soft to the things of him. But the second thing that he talks about when he's talking about the Ethiopian eunuch is he's talking about the fact that baptism comes after we believe. And you see, these are two important concepts that we need to understand in terms of our life with Christ that we first believe and then we're baptized. And, and this is where the church has kind of gotten this a little bit out of order. Uh, see, once we choose to believe in Jesus, then we choose to be baptized. Acts 12 and 13 uh, here we see Luke telling the story when, when they believed Philip as, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God, then they were baptized. Even Simon himself believed after being baptized. And so belief came first and then baptism. We skip down to verses 30 and 31. Philip, when he's talking to that uh, Ethiopian eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch at some point in that conversation chooses to believe and then he's baptized. And I think that perhaps the church has led us uh, down the wrong path sometimes on this. They've led us down a path that we think that, you know, maybe baptism comes first, and maybe baptism is more important or less important than we think it is. And, and I just want to clear that up this morning. I, I love um, 
our baptism celebrations. We, we go down to the Atlantic Ocean because this is where we live. And uh, people who have come to faith in Jesus, whether it was 40 years ago or four days ago, um, you know, we, we baptize them there in the Atlantic Ocean. And if you've ever been to a beach baptism, it's pretty incredible, isn't it? It's pretty awesome. And so we talk about the fact that uh, baptism is, is, a, is a symbol of, of what God has done, that we've been buried with him in his death, and, and that because of what Christ did on the cross, we're raised to new life. See, a few facts about believers' baptism is that it's a symbol. It's a representation, outward representation of an inward commitment. Uh, it's, it's, it's a symbol. And so it's important because it says that I identify with Jesus. I, I watch the NFL draft. Um, I watch usually the first round every year, and then I lose interest. But um, the NFL draft is interesting because when a player is announced for a certain team, what happens? They walk up to the stage. Robert Goodell is booed and booed and booed and booed the whole three days. And then they walk up to the stage, and if, if, uh, if a guy signs with a certain team, what does he do? He puts on what? puts on the hat. And it's a symbol of who he's a part of. And that's what baptism is for us. That's what baptism is for you. It's symbolic of your faith. It's not required for salvation. Nowhere do we see in Scripture that it is required for salvation. The only way that we're saved is through our faith in Jesus Christ alone. But baptism is that very important next step. And it's, we, we celebrate it and we, we honor it by immersion, which is literally the word. The word means to bring underwater, or let's say it in our terms, dunk. All right? That's what we do, right? Scott Mackay and I will be out there in the ocean and we'll say, I, I, I baptize you, not I bear you. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and we'll hold you underwater for a few minutes and then pull you back up. I'm kidding. A few seconds. Sorry. But baptism should be something that's done without delay. That's what the Ethiopian eunuch demonstrated for us. That if, listen, I want you to hear this, that if God has changed our heart, that we need to follow in believers' baptism. I was, I was six years old when I asked Jesus to be my savior. And um, I, I did it so fast that I was 21 years old when I followed in believers' baptism. <laughs> I didn't really, wasn't kind of emphasized, it wasn't talked about in, in the culture that I grew up in, but I realized after reading scripture that it was something that was an important part of what we should do as Christ followers. And by the way, it's not just a New Testament, um, it's not just a New Testament practice. The idea of baptism goes all the way back to the Old Testament. The Jews used to have this cleansing ceremony called the mikvah that they would actually baptize themselves three different times. Isn't that interesting? Symbolic of three. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus was doing was he was relating this to a symbolic practice that they had done for centuries that we carry on with today. Isn't that cool? Isn't that incredible? And, and the Jews would actually, when they were baptized, when they baptized, they baptized themselves in these pools. They would completely dunk themselves underwater, and they would come up, and they understood it as new birth. So the whole idea, when Jesus said to Nicodemus being born again, he would have understood that because it went back centuries in their tradition. Isn't that amazing? And we have the privilege of carrying on with that today. 
I understood when I was about 21 years old, um, this is 23 years ago, Cynthia and I were about ready to, to get married. And um, I understood that I had not done one very important thing in my life before I did one of the most important things in my life, and that's marry my wife 23 years ago. I'm so thankful she stayed with me all that time. Next week, actually. So she's, she's amazing. I got brownie points. <laughs> But I realized that I had been a Christian for a long time. I was walking with the Lord. I was spending time with him every day. But I had missed one thing that was so important. And that was me publicly declaring that I'm his. That I'm on his team. We as a church, we do it down at Caligny Beach. There's not much more of a public place than that. We've got one scheduled on the 20th of June. And I want to encourage you, Christ follower. I want to talk to you for a moment. If you've been a Christian for a long time and you've never followed in believer's baptism, is it required for salvation? Absolutely not. Is God disappointed if you never follow in in that? I don't believe so. But boy, what an important part of your spiritual journey to follow in believer's baptism. I had a pastor once tell me that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist if God's son was baptized, we ought to follow in that practice as well. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never followed in Believer's Baptism, go online. You can register hiltonheadislandcc.org slash baptism. So I want to leave you with two questions today that hopefully will lead to action or action items in your life. The first one is this. If you believe in Jesus, what's holding you back from being baptized? If you believe in Jesus, what's holding you back from being baptized? At some point in time, you're going to run out of excuses. If you're afraid of the ocean, just let us know. We'll do it somewhere else. Some of you say, well, I was christened as a child. I was too. I was too. I was christened, sprinkled. And I believe that was so important. And don't discount the importance of that in your life. But I used to say, well, I've already been baptized. Well, that wasn't as a believer. That was a commitment for my parents. They committed me to the Lord. I believe that part of the reason that I'm in ministry today is because they committed me early to the Lord. But that wasn't me making the decision to follow in believer's baptism. At some point in time, you're going to run out of excuses. So what's holding you back from being baptized? Secondly and lastly, if you believe in Jesus, what's holding you back from following Jesus with your whole, and I'm going to add something here, soft heart. Maybe right now you're in a situation where um, your heart has gotten really hard, and because of that, man, you've been captivated by something other than Jesus. Maybe something in the world has gotten a hold of your hard heart. Jesus can change that in an instant. He can change that in a second. He can give you a heart of flesh. Father God, I pray for those who are in here, myself included, God, that your Holy Spirit would would pierce our hearts, that you would inspect us right now. As David wrote in his psalm and prayed, God, I pray that you would seek us and find us and find if there's any evil way within us. And God, I pray for those Christ followers who walked in here today and they walked in with a, a bit of a hard heart towards you. Over time, it's just kind of gotten mundane. 
and a little bit slow their spiritual lives. And other things have grabbed their attention and they're not, their heart is not soft towards the things of you. God, I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus that you would ask them, that you would reach out to them and ask them to come back to you, that you're waiting right there for them to return. That's what repentance is all about. And maybe you've got something in your life that's really like keeps holding you back from that. It keeps holding you back from being everything that you can be in Christ. And maybe today you just want freedom from whatever that is. You want that ceiling taken off, those chains removed, and you just want to confess it. I'm going to be down here to your left, my right. Scott McKay, our pastor, uh, community pastor, is going to be down here on the other side over by the cross. If you want to come down just during this last song and during this prayer time, I want to encourage you to do that. Maybe you're here today and you've been a Christian for so long and you've just run out of excuses. <laughs> you can't find another reason why you should wait or not be baptized. And God is saying, hey, you know what? You're on the team. Why don't you let everyone know? <laughs> why don't you follow in that ancient practice of believers baptism and say I belong to him and maybe you're here today and you walked in and somebody brought you to church and you've actually never put your faith in Jesus and something that was said or sung or something that happened here over these last few minutes has really really got you thinking that maybe today is your day where you ask him to be your savior. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved once and for all. And right now, I'm just going to pray a prayer out loud. I want to invite you to pray it with me just to God, just you and him. If you mean it, if it's genuine. And it's just a prayer of salvation. There's nothing magical about the words. It's really the intent of your heart. Man, don't let another day go by without knowing that when you die, you'll go to heaven. You can pray this prayer if you want to become a Christian. God, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross, to rise again three days later. And right now, I admit that my sin keeps me from you. And I understand that Jesus took care of that on the cross. And I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. Help me now, God, to live for you. If you prayed that prayer, I would love to know about it. I'm going to have you just mark your uh, bottom of your, your uh, worship folder that you received when you came in. Just let us know about your faith decision today. If you want to be baptized, there's a lot of different ways that you can let us know about that. If you want to pray with someone, Scott and I are down front here. We'd love to pray with you. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these first Christians, this first church that turned the world upside down. And God, we thank you for the gift of salvation that we have in Jesus. And we give you praise for that right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.